Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly, Editor of PW Comics World, and Editor of the Fanatic PW's twice-a-month comics and pop culture newsletter. Don't forget to check us out uh, online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Well, uh, um, More to Come listeners, this week, actually this is a return uh, to more to come. He's been on um, our show before. Uh, we're gonna have the great pleasure of talking with Dean Haspiel, comics artist, illustrator, playwright, um, uh, visionary in many ways. Uh, Dino, uh, thanks so much for being on more to come again. Thank you, Calvin. I always love talking to you. Well, uh, same here. Uh, primarily, we're going to be here to talk about your new series. I mean, it, well, put it. There are new volumes of the series out, but this has been going on along uh, uh, for for a couple of years. This is the Red Hook. Your uh, really um, cosmic, kaleidoscopically cosmic, but urban, <laughs> grounded in urbanity. Uh, superhero series set in New Brooklyn. We're going to talk more about that, but we're also going to talk about how you've used the online platform of Webtoon to kind of reach, you know, uh, to create a new platform for yourself and for your work, uh, how other artists are doing it, and a little bit about some of the other things you're doing. Because one of the things um, uh, I've, I've said about you in the past is that your, your, your career in cartooning goes from the classic, you know, American cartooning, the work-for-hire world of DC and Marvel – to the indie world of comics publishing that we saw in the 80s working with Harvey Picar, right up into, um, you know, the introduction of the web and all kind and, and reaching readers online. So you've got a, you, you've got an incredible range of experience as an artist to talk about not only on art, but how you reach readers. So that we're going to try to get a, uh, talk a little bit about all of this. Th- thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of my, career has been what I call hopscotching. I hopscotch, <laughs> you know, between the mainstream and the indie and, and digital and print and web comics. And Absolutely. now, you know, I've been exploring, you know, theater, uh, because in a way it's all theater, you know, be, because it's, it's narrative and, uh, oh, and I love producing narrative. And, and just very quickly, I mean, you're the creator of the, the Billy Dogma series, a hilarious, poetic, <laughs> uh, crypto libertarian romance comic. I don't know if that really makes any sense, but I don't, I, it does to me. That's the way it sounds. You work with Harvey Picar, uh, the graphic Jonathan novel, Ames, the Twitter, Jonathan Ames the, on the alcoholic. You won an Emmy, uh, for your work on the, what the animated, uh, intro. Uh, it, it, yeah, the intro to uh, Bored to Death, to Bored which to Death. also uh, I did the comics art for one of the main characters played by Zach Galifianakis, who was uh, loosely based on me. I see. Uh, maybe not in characterization, <laughs> but in some of his background story and the fact that he was a cartoonist. Well, he's so. funny and smart, so that definitely um, that definitely yeah. c- uh, covers you. Uh, I also want to mention your work on Cuba, My Revolution, which was a really extraordinary book, and I had the great fortune to write a little piece for it and to moderate yeah, the panel so about it um yeah. I mean, actually tell uh, tell our listeners what cuba my revolution is if you wouldn't cuba my revolution is the, the um the story of inverna lopez although it's semi-fictionalized right. but mm-hmm. honestly it's 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 got a lot of truth to it and it's about a uh, teenage girl who at age 16 uh is you know has dreams of being a, a painter and, you know, living the life when suddenly there's this major shift with uh, Fidel Castro coming down the mountain and taking over uh, with a promise of a better tomorrow. And little by small, 
you know, there's a there's corruption in all power. It seems. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, well, it's a story of a disillusionment over power. Yeah. Yes, and her and her dreams become diminished uh, as she kind of pushes her art to the side, joins the militia, you know, fights the good fight, as it were. And little by small, all her friends and family start to uh, disappear and escape yeah. uh, Cuba. And it's and she has, she uh, you know is kind of like seduced by the Kool Aid of, of this ideal and little you know and and just discovers that it's not happening that it's actually things have gotten worse in a way and it ends the book ends with her final escape to America so she could yeah. uh, you know live her dreams as a painter in America. It's a very personal look at the Cuban uh, Revolution and the toll it yes. took. Um, okay. So let's let's jump very quickly to Red Hook. I really want to get uh, our listeners uh, a sense of what Red Hook is, what this series is, uh, how it um, how it it borrows from really all of your experience in making comics. Uh, it's a superhero comic that's not like any other superhero comic. It's cosmic. Uh, it's grounded in the in some ways of of the changes we see in happening in New York City right now. In Brooklyn, how it's trans, uh, how it's trans, been transformed. But it also, uh, and we'll talk about this later, it also shows how you as an independent artist have had to adapt to the economic realities of being a car- comics artist, uh, in North America today. So yeah, you, you, hit, you hit on the head, Calvin. Yeah. You hit on the head. It basically, you mentioned Billy Dogma earlier, and I kind of always, Never qualified Billy as a superhero, right? Yeah. So it was always kind of like this semi-autobiographical, like Dean Haspiel to the second power type character, you know. Um, but, you know, I, 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 it was just a little shy of actually being a superhero. In fact, he was the last romantic anti-hero. Mm-hmm. But then when I wanted to kind of react to certain current, you know, things that are happening in the world, and in, in my case, that world is Brooklyn, New York, mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways, um, I, created this character called the Red Hook that is a superhero, or at least yeah. he was a super thief that's forced to become a superhero. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I took a lot of what I do in Billy Dogma, that cosmic stuff, and I inserted that into the Red Hook uh, story uh, by way of anthropomorphizing Brooklyn. Yes, because Brooklyn is I, a sentient being in this, in this series. That's right. Yes. So <laughs> Brooklyn uh, is kind of woken up, you know, gets yeah. woke. Yes, yes. <laughs> and she is um and she, she is, uh, basically is uh you know heartbroken by the toxicity of what's going on in the world and decides to physically and literally secede from New York ergo America to start her own republic where art uh is uh used as a currency where you can uh, barter art for food and services and of course it's during a pandemic a cosmic pandemic of new superheroes and supervillains because it's, you know, a superhero comic book, right? Yeah. So then the Red Hook is this character who is a guy, of a, a, a kind of a, a failed boxer in Red Hook, Brooklyn, uh, who, you know, is kind of like doing this thing where he's like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to steal. I'm going to steal from the rich, you know, not, not necessarily a Robin Hood because he's just taking care of himself and his, and his girlfriend, the possum. Yes. This other yes, character. Yeah. Because I, and, should, I'm, um, if I could just jump in for a second, because sure. much like Billy Dogma and its yeah. cosmic um, uh, interpretation of life, uh, you know, this the Red Hook is also a love story. So I'll, I'll just oh, leave it at that. I'll just leave it absolutely. at that. Absolutely. Yes. It, listen, I, 
all my major comics work, uh, what ties it all together is romance and love. In fact, the third volume, because there's the Red Hook and volume one's called New Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Red Hook volume two is called War Cry and volume three is called Starcross. But Starcross is all about how love will save the world. And I know as corny as that sounds, uh, do you, 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 do you see a loss, the TV show? Uh, I did see Lost. Uh, my dear wife, who you know, uh, Joey, yes. loves Lost. I won't say that I love it, but I have right. seen it. <laughs> right. Yes. So do you remember, like, there was this, like, combination of numbers, and you're trying to figure out what's going on, and what's why are these people brought to this island or survived yeah, this island, what the yeah. mission statement was? For a long time, I kept thinking it was going to be about love and how love will save the world. And again, that just speaks to my sensibilities and maybe the kind of stories I want to see. I mean, for a long time, you know, when you're younger, you kind of can be bleak and you can be mad at the world and you're in your punk rock, you know, phase Mm. and you're, you know, kicking and screaming. And, you know, I would often write these bleak endings to stories. And then at one point I went, wait a second, I'm putting you know, important stuff out there, at least important to me and my legacy. And I'm trying to create a a testimony of life. And I was like, well, why don't I leave things on uh, a positive note, a hopeful note? Mm-hmm. So, you know, as, as much as we need to discuss the things that are difficult and hard in the world, you know, I, I like to try to leave a story with a sense of hope. Sure. And so for many years, uh, at least in my recent work, especially with Billy Dogma and the Red Hook series, that's kind of important to me because I do feel, you know, there is a power to art. There's an energy and and we you know need to promote um positive ideals you know diversity inclusiveness sure. all that stuff mm. and that's in the red hook man mm, like yeah. i have these different types of characters i'm not that judgmental of them you know sure there are bad guys and good guys but people are complicated you know and i try to play that that notion in the series so much so that in war cry um you know the the red hook's girlfriend has basically turned into this uh uh, uh, weapon of mass destruction mm-hmm. by way of a young uh, black kid yeah. who turns out that he's gay. Yeah. And they share this body kind of like, um, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with Firestorm or OMAC, you know, One Man Army Corps, mm-hmm. Jack Kirby's character. But it plays with a lot of like the fun stuff that comics can yield, you know, where you can have dual identities and you know, sharing a brain or a body. And it gets it gets a little complicated uh, and of course, this is told through the lens of, you know, the straight white guy, me, the yeah. red hook. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> so, I mean, I understand that there's also a discussion these days about what you can and cannot write, but I feel like if you can do it respectfully, you know, uh, uh yeah. and also I, I, different points of view, you know, there's authentic points of view. There's, listen, how do we write and draw blue aliens? You know, yeah. <laughs> you gotta make this up sometimes, but I, I try to honor my characters by writing them as people. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the great things about uh, the Red Hook series is that, you know, it, I mean, it, it is a meditation on, uh, the diversity of the city, uh, the comical, um, clashes and overlaps of all of our various citizens. Uh, in New Brooklyn is this kind of, you know, it has become this ground zero for this new generation of, of superheroes, your wordplay around their names. I mean, we've got, you know, Sheep's Head and we've got Bensonhurst. And <laughs> so, so it's a celebration of Brooklyn and New York and really kind of a classic, um, way of thinking about superheroes. Uh, in particular, 
uh, if I'm not mistaken, the, the Red Hook also, during his boxing years, had a trainer who looked suspiciously like Jack Kirby. Oh, his absolutely. <laughs> and, his, and his name is Jack Toth, because I'm honored oh, Jack Kirby and, and Alex Toth. Alex Toth figures in this, too. But, yeah. And I should also tell people, a kaleidoscopic and dynamic visual drawing style uh, that's fun to read and and vividly color. The color in this book is really important, too. Well, thank so, you. Just on, just, I mean, just on the art side. So, But, well, but go on. Well, uh, well, I was going to say, like, like I feel – and it's funny because, like, as we enter this new realm in, in – in our comics industry where YA books, young adult yeah. is blowing up. Raina Telgemeier is just the t- at the, at the top of her game, you know, and getting, you know, introducing comics to younger readers. And as I get older, I'm like, I don't want to make kids books, but you know what I realized my art style, which is, you know, um, kind of an homage somewhat, or at least influenced by the likes of Jack Kirby, mm-hmm. Steve Dicko, Alex Toth, you know, a lot of those 1960s Silver Age comics Classic artists. Classic guys of superhero comics, really, for right. our age anyway, yeah. That's right. And if you look at those comics today, or you could look at them 20 years ago, or even when they were made, they're very young adult looking, you know, mm-hmm. like. One could hazard. So if I just tweaked maybe a story element or two in what I do now, I'm basically doing young adult comics, you know, like kids, kids books in a lot of ways, you know, well, even though I would agree with I, that. I, I, I feel like they they're they're aimed for the adult. But I feel like kids can read this stuff, too. Well, you know? of course, kids want to read up anyway. And um, uh, and of course, I, one of the things that you've done in this series is, you know, the, the classic kinds of superheroes that I kind of read. I read growing up. I mean, you've 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 got their, you know, the general outline there, but but they're taking right. on different issues, and they're taking on the kind of issues that young adults now have to face: uh, sexual identity, you know, right. gender. Uh, in some ways, you've got this incredible trans, you know, character going on here that's flipping back and forth between who they are. That's right. That's so right. And it's funny because much to talk because, about on that well, issue. And I appreciate that you recognize that because, listen, when we try to market and, and, you know, promote the work, it's really difficult for a guy like me at age 52, you know, you know, tr- trying to make ends meet in Brooklyn, you know, with, with the kind of privilege I, I, I have, let's say, but we, but there is a struggle to it as well, my friend, you know, like yeah. trying to make ends meet, trying, trying to make, you know, seven days a week. I mean, not for nothing, but I, you know, where are the comic shops? You know, who are buying and reading comics? You know, there are bookstores, they're online, of course, and we can get to the online portion soon. But, you know, it's, it's not an, uh, an easy road, you know? Absolutely. And, and I'm trying to respect, you know, the, the, the discussion of what's binary or not, what's fluid and all that stuff. And, and my ears are open, my eyes are open, you know, like, I, I, again, there's no judgment to this. You know, at the end of the day, I'm just like, are you happy? Do, are, do you want to be happy? Strive for that, you know? And, and yet again, there are all these obstacles. And one of the obstacles that I bring up with this, you know, by making a uh, Brooklyn sentient is the fact that it's become much harder for uh, freelancers and artists to live in Brooklyn while 
making art. Yeah. You know, uh, we lost our studios. You know, I, I was yeah, actually yes. looking at studio spaces yesterday. Now, is this Hang Dye? You, you, you still have that? So Hang Dye was, was a part of, uh, yeah. of a more concentrated studio. My current studio of the last three and a half years are more refugees of four other studios that wow. collapsed and combined while other people moved to Philadelphia or back to their homes or yes. to their closets. Yeah, now, Philly seems to be a, a spot where people are decamping to. And we exactly. should also, you know, since you mentioned uh, your studio, I, I'd love to, you know, just to mention uh, Seth, um, Seth Kushner, the late Seth Kushner, and yeah. um, yep. the work you did with him, also around Brooklyn, he, what, his yep. character, the Brooklynite. He did um, the Brooklynite, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I co-created uh, the Purple Heart with Vito Del Sante, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, we 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 kind of got together when I had this kind of eureka moment about, wait a second, we have these superhero characters because you know we love the Marvel and DC comics, and we we've also written and drawn. A bunch of these comics for Marvel's and DC's IP, but after a while, you're like, well, what about my own characters? How can I put a twist on it without editorial constraint or oversight? Or you know, it's like you're auditioning all the time. You know, uh, unless you've like popped and made it big, you know, every job is a new job. So I was like, well, how can we do it ourselves? And then I figured out the background element, what which was this new Brooklyn idea, mm-hmm. which allows me to comment in the background. All the stuff that's currently happening in Brooklyn or hell in big cities everywhere. Yeah, you know, absolutely. it's a way to relate to it. Well, that's one of the delightful aspects of reading uh, the Red Hook. But what I, I but I want to I want to veer off very quickly um, to talk about. But you have a whole background in thinking hard about how you connect with readers, how you make a buck. Obviously, right. how you publish your work. Like I right. said, you've done it the traditional way, but you've also been a key organizer of Activate, a really yes. pioneering online uh, web comics platform. Who did that start about? 2005? That was 2006. Six? In uh-huh. 2006. I mean, it, the idea was in 2000, the end of 2005. Mm-hmm. And I realized, well, being on the Live Journal blogging platform, you know, we were all talking, you know, we were all sitting at home. Our virtual studio mates are online, you know, via this platform. This is before Facebook, Twitter, before MySpace or yep. Friendster, whatever the hell that was all going on. I'm talking about, you know, like I've been on that platform, I think, since 2001. And I, you know, you ally with other artists and you see and you're talking about what you're working on, you know, so you don't feel so lonely during the day and you take these mini little breaks and you have sure. this, these parlays. And then it occurred to me, wait a second, I know enough people online right now that, you know, probably want to write and draw their own comics as well. Because at the time I was working, um, I believe I just wrapped, uh, Harvey Picard's The Quitter and I was working on some other long form project. And what happens when you work on a long form project is you disappear. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you're not allowed to really show what you're working on. Nowadays they do that. But back then there was like this embargo where no one could see anything. So you're working on like a hundred or so pages on something that, you know, then you hope and pray that when it does come out, you get like two weeks worth of, you know, promotions and maybe some good reviews. And often that's it. Yeah. And then you're, you're, you've been hustling for the other job, you know, another job. So I thought, well, well, here's a good way to come out once a week with just something, a regular series, also something that promotes your own sensibilities. Again, I was drawing someone else's story, and I was like, well, let me try to um, invest in myself as a writer as well. So that's where I was doing Billy Dogma, and that's what I contributed to this Activate, uh, you know, platform, which is basically, 
you know, a pro- it was a platform of like serialized of, of serialized comics uh, yes. online. Now, how many artists did you? I mean, it, I forgot now. How many artists did you have at one time? And it was at a- the beginning. We started with like seven or eight. Mm-hmm. It would be like one day a week. Mm-hmm. You know, I had Tuesdays or Wednesdays. I right. forget what day. And then, and then, and then the other idea was that you would draw other people to your comic, but then they would stay for the other artists sure. at the platform. So it would just grow exponentially. You were talking about um, making money. You know, there's making money like dollars, yeah. you know, but then there's a different kind of currency, which is growing a fan base and yeah, a absolutely. loyalty, creating a culture, you yeah, know, absolutely. of sorts, which is, which is as important. Um, but yeah, I think at the, at, at the, at the, the height, there might have been 50 comics or more happening yeah. at one time. Yeah. It got, it got crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, you also launched Trip City, which was kind of That's an right. online literary like pop online salon. Of- it was a Brooklyn filtered salon where mm-hmm. it would have comics, but also we were doing a podcast, writing mm-hmm. articles, you know, uh, using uh, the different, you know, uh, tools uh, of the internet medium, you know, with video and everything else. And then we would draw different types of artists that weren't just cartoonists. Mm-hmm. So I kind of broke away from Activate, left it in the good hands of like Simon Fraser, Mike Cavallero and mm-hmm. Chris Miscavige and a few other folks. And then I um, actually with Chris... Jeffy Burant and uh, Seth Kushner, the late Seth Kushner, uh, sparked Trip City and experimented in a different way for a couple of years. Also, to say to myself, I'm not just a cartoonist. And listen, just to be a cartoonist is enough, you know, because think about it. it it's a hybrid of so many different art forms, writing, drawing, sure. coloring, you know, uh, cre- thinking of cinema, all kinds of stuff. So to do comics well is difficult enough. But I, I like to hopscotch, as I said earlier. And, you know, I like to, so I was, I was flexing a little prose, a little a couple of essays. I was throwing, you know, throwing down with a soap, soapbox type stuff, you know? And, and so did other people that we introduced and brought in. And that was a lot of fun as well. But as one knows, it's difficult to maintain yeah. a, a regular, regular content for free. Yeah. You know, you gotta keep making this stuff, even though you're building out an audience, you know? And that brings us to Webtoon. Right. So let's talk a little bit about that and and what that well, what basically how that became a platform for for the Red Hook and 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 Webtoon is basically a Korea uh, a Korea based but global really uh, yes a, a platform for web comics uh, but but they're a little different than um, some of the what we take to be web comics here. So tell us about right. your involvement with Webtoon and, and the Web. All right, so so I, I was approached by Tom Akel, who at the time was the chief content um, like editor uh, for this South Korean app called Webtoon, which is a free web comics app. Uh, all you need to do is is log on, subscribe, and you're introduced to thousands of free comics. Mm-hmm. And at the time. Uh, because it was mostly known in South Korea and, and, you know, their fan base, they were reaching out to trying to get more American readers. And one way to do that is to create exclusive or to offer exclusive, uh, American content. So Tom, who had known of, about me from Activate and Trip City and other web comics I had done, uh, you know, asked me to pitch and I pitched him a few ideas. And the Red Hook was something I had done while on retreat at Yado and Atlantic Center for the Arts mm-hmm. as a way to do as a palate cleanser, actually. Uh, and it, and it's actually the thing, the short story I did at the Red Hook was the thing that actually got me to um, 
get do ten issues of the Fox for Archie Comics later. Oh on. right, that's right. So it, it was very useful. This like six page little thing I did for the fun of it, right? Mm-hmm. So I pitched this idea, and that's where I grew it out and made it more about Brooklyn. And then when I came back to Tom Akel, not only did I have the Red Hook, but I also had the Purple Heart and uh, uh, the Brooklynite with my cohorts from the studio. So I came back with three series and he greenlit it. And it was kind of an amazing thing. And, you know, one thing I wanted to acknowledge is you were saying how comics used to be a certain type of thing way back in the day. We're talking about the golden age years, Mm -hmm. the 40s and 50s, where it was a little more black and white. It was like superheroes versus supervillains and saving the world, the end, right? Yeah. And what Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko brought out in 1961 was more of that nuance of complicated characters, people with faults, you know? Yeah. Uh, You know, Peter Parker trying to do – uh, trying to pass tests and you know get the girl, but also yeah. has to fight his and, best friend. And father, needed you know? money. I mean, when did you ever read a comic money. book where you had a, a, a superhero that's like you know I gotta I've gotta survive. I gotta make money. That's I right. Mean, he, he he created these flawed characters that really were a, were a jolt because I was a kid at the time reading right. them. I'm a little bit older than you. Uh, yep. I remember reading the first issues of Spider Man and 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 it, and it blew. Uh, you know, no knock on DC. It blew the DC comics at the time. Oh, out of the totally. World. It, it it was it was different. It was and it was different on purpose. And and it was even a risk because in a way, if you're trying to sell to kids, why do kids care about money problems? But you know what? It was relatable. Yeah, and then exactly. parents could start reading the comics, yeah. and it kind of opened up, kind of like what Pixar does with their their films. It's for kids, and it's all ages. See, mm-hmm. all ages gets a bad rap sometimes because it sounds like it's for toddlers. No, it's for all ages. Read the words. Mm-hmm. You know, like oh, it's for everyone. And and so with that in mind, I thought, well, let's try to do that with this new universe, kind of take a, a tip of the hat from Marvel 1961. I mean, that first decade of Marvel just – it changed yeah, it, everything. It, it, really it, changed, it now changed the cinema, mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of ways. So, And as we uh, see although, now with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right. these characters still speak to people. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I – so with Webtoon, um, you know, I was I was asked to pitch one idea, came back with three. We launched this uh, first season of kind of New Brooklyn Comics with the Red Hook, Purple Heart, the Brooklyn Knight. And then I went on to uh, continue uh, passing the baton, you know, to, of the Red Hook to other Red Hook stories. And I've completed the first trilogy online at line Webtoon. And now I've been working on the fourth season that will hopefully launch, I think, in, in, um, it's not even been, <laughs> I think you're getting exclusive here. It's not All even right, been, good. uh, <laughs> said yet, been announced, but, uh, I'm going to be doing a fourth season. And to be honest, I probably have two more seasons in mind, so we'll mm. see what happens. Yeah. But what was really cool, what came out of that. Now I'm reading is, Star Cross right now. Oh, you are awesome. Yeah. So is yeah. that, and that's then, the, is that the third, that's the third one? That's the third one. That's the third one, right? Okay. And that's the that's where it kind of culminates what I'll call the Ava Bloom trilogy, which uh, is the possum. Yeah, it kind of like tells the, yeah. her whole story, right, you know, right. um, with New Brooklyn in the background, with the Red Hook as the anchor, right. all that stuff. Now, just so, I just want to go in, let me just jump in here for a second because I, yeah. I, I want our listeners to understand what Webtoon does is offers f- free access uh, to vertical scroll comics. They're a little like – we talked about this once before. They're designed a little different. Every yeah. every image is, is – to me, every image is almost the equivalent, but not the perfect equivalent of a single panel right. in a Western comic. Uh, right. 
at the same time, uh, readers can read these for free. And I think what they do is you can buy the, uh, these tokens through Webtoon if you want to read ahead. So there sure. is a monetization aspect, uh, right. to Webtoon and it has tens of thousands of comics and, uh, an amazing number. I mean, really thousands of cartoonists. Uh, uh, and it attracts, I mean, an audience is upwards of 50 million people. Was it? It's pretty year? incredible. I it's mean, incredible. it's really amazing. Yeah. I, I, it's funny because like, you know, one of the lessons of doing a free, you know, web comics plat, you know, on the blogging platform at, uh, activate via live journal. And then we, we launched our own website shortly thereafter was we never really thought about the business of it. Mm. You know, like the way you said monetization. And, like, that's one of the things that, that, you know, obviously Webtoons does is monetize. I mean, they're paying me to to live, you know, to, to live comfortably enough in Brooklyn to write and draw something I own. Yeah, and that's the other thing you see, yeah. actually, that I didn't mention. The artists own the work completely. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, and, and, and what you said about the, you know, it's best read probably on a smartphone and tablet. Yes. Uh, you know, it's, it looks a little bit bigger on your regular laptop screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the pictures I have when I'm talking to someone new about when they ask me, well, what do you do? And I tell them I make comics and write plays and stuff. And I said, my comic is in your phone right now for free. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. In your and, pocket and it is. You're right absolutely now. right. Um, it, no, w- w- without a doubt. Um, uh, and, and that's the other thing. This platform is really designed for how a new generation consumes all kinds of content, Absolutely. whether you're talking about music, uh, books, or comics. Um, and, movies. And, I mean, or we, movies. When I see someone watching Avengers Endgame on the F train oh, on their I, phone. I see it every, every day you see this, that someone's <laughs> watching HBO on their phone. I know. <laughs> so, Crazy. Absolutely the case. Yeah. Um, so, so, so yeah. for me, it's been, it's been, uh, I'm, I'm living a life of full autonomy right this minute, which is, I mean, I would like to say I've earned it, you know, uh, I know it won't last forever. Um, and I really have to appreciate it. And while I have this moment, uh, I'm trying my best to toot the horn and let people know about it. So one of the things I'm doing is I allied with image comics to put these out in print because there are people uh, old folks like me who are like, <laughs> don't want to deal with the internet. They'd rather just read it and turn pages, you know? You know and, and some of us like a little bit of both. You know, I read a little yeah. online. I, I still want my print books. And, right. um, uh, that is the one thing that at least, uh, cause, and I, I just want to direct people that I did a story about Webtoon, um, uh, a couple of months ago. When was this in, um, in August of 2019? So if you mm-hmm. want to go to and search for Webtoon, you'll get it. Um, but uh w- 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 they don't do print uh though they right. they're open to it but they don't prevent their artists from going to print they they That's really right. do see it don't see it as a competing format they, they don't see it as competing cuz they're not even trying to do that and also yeah. print is as you know and you, this is your business it's a little difficult you know uh, the numbers are changing constantly Absolutely. um we will always have books and prose of some kind and comics it's just that the formats are changing, you know, uh, exponentially these days, as you know. I mean, streaming, television? Of course. I, I, there's so many different ways. And then there's binge watching, binge reading. But, you know, it's one thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, you you re- completely reformat the comic for print. But uh, I also don't know how long I can keep up with the Joneses. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Like, 
<laughs> because it's a very – I mean, it's the, it, this, it looks very different online than it does. I mean, if you open the book, it looks like a classic comic book. Well, Dirty Little Secret. Dirty Little Secret yeah. is as much as they encourage uh, to draw, draw it in scroll format first – I do uh, draw it as a comic book, a traditional comic book first, but I do think in terms of layouts, uh-huh. how I will cut it up to be, to be, to serve the scroll, uh, the, the virtues of the scroll. Right. You mm-hmm. know? So Very I do think about that. And, and it is, and I have to letter it twice. I have to letter it differently. One that's mm-hmm. bigger for, you know, your phone and smaller for print. And, and, you know, it, it, it is like drawing the comic twice in a weird way, yeah. you know? Um, and so I'm really excited by that. I, I'm also, um, again, trying to think about how to expand this universe because that, that's the world today is everybody's trying to promote a universe, you yeah. know, and, mm-hmm. and that's what I was attracted to in comics in the first place was the idea of like, I could pick up Fantastic Four, but then Iron Man or Spider-Man would, you know, cameo or visit. And then I want to go pick up the Iron Man comic or the Spider-Man comic, you know, and expand out. Um, I'm trying to do that with the mediums, you know, so I have this webcomic medium first, you know, and they have that exclusively for a few years before I'm allowed to put it into print. Then there's the print version mm-hmm. coming out later. And then I've, recently I've been thinking about, and this is another kind of exclusive, is expanding out into theater because I've, I've written three plays that were produced. Yes, and, for, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was this play I did a year and a half ago, uh, I wrote called The Last Bar Day in the World. And that was uh, directed by my buddy Phil Cruz, who also acted in it. It also starred Seth Gilliam of The Walking Dead and The Wire uh-huh. and Stoya, a- a- among other actors. And we've kind of got the old gang back together. And it looks like uh, we're going to be producing my fourth play uh-huh. uh, this spring, um, mid-March through uh, uh, the first weekend of April, which I believe is uh, when MOCA happens in yeah. New York City. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, and I, this might be the first time this has ever happened in theater, but it's going to be a theatrical prequel to The Red Hook. Oh, And it's cool. called The War of Wu. All right. So. All right. Well, go. this is good. And I haven't seen your plays. I'm going to make sure I see this one. Oh, please. Right. It's a lot of fun. The War of Wu. Um, and where's it, where it's going to be produced? It's going to be at, it's going to be at the Gene Frankel Theater. And I believe it's going to launch March 19th through April 5th. And where's the Gene Frankel Theater? In Brooklyn, I assume? It's in, no, it's in Manhattan. Lower it's in Manhattan. Manhattan. Okay. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Wait, we, I crossed the bridge. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so. um, uh, well, once again, I mean, you, uh, you're, you, 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 you give yourself a lot of options based on a variety of talents here. Um, uh, and all of this, and, and but I mean, obviously enough, they all seem to point back to your comics. Yeah, you know, I mean, I love to write and draw comics. I've been listen. When I was twelve years old, I became otherwise unemployable because I decided I know what I'm going to do with my life, and what that was going to be was to pencil the Fantastic Four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and I did do that. I did yeah. draw Canon FF. Uh, a bunch of years ago. Great. So I was able to, uh, do that. I'd like to do more. Uh, you know, there are definitely certain characters I still want to play with other people's characters, mm-hmm. you know, other toys. But what's really exciting is to be able to invent my own in homage to the ones I love, but then switch them up, uh, according to my sensibilities. Well, I mean, that's one of the things that's always interested in talking, uh, interesting about talking with you, uh, Dean, because you've got a foot in really every pot 
uh, it seems that this business has the has to offer. I'm trying. You I'm know, trying. Listen, um, I, I have a pilot out there for a TV show. I okay. mean, I'm working. I'm working. I'm spinning those plates. I love it. I love it. So uh, uh, I, I want our audience to know uh, Volume 2 of the Red Hook came out from Image Books, and that was in November 2019. Oh, I think that was September. or October. I forget. what It was fall. Sometime it was in, in fall the fall. Of, it was fall of last year. Um, uh, uh, all, all of this correlates to the Webtoon series as well. Right. Um, and Star Cross, uh, which is a continuing part of the, of the Red Hook, that's online right now at Webtoon. Right. Right. Also, I, I forgot to mention, sorry, uh, a local publisher, So What Press, Dave Kelly. Mm-hmm. They oh, do yeah, Tales of the Night Watchmen. That's right. We did a little story yeah, yeah. about that. And Lara Anta, uh, Anta, um, they, we did a, uh, Red Hook Tales of the Night Watchmen crossover, uh, where we introduce Brooklyn's first, uh, superhero who happens to be female named Luna from way back in the early, uh, what, 20th century? Like uh-huh. 1900. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's also available now. That came out, uh, a month or two ago. And uh, that was another – that's a pre-New Brooklyn story okay. when the Red Hook was just a bona fide thief. Okay. So, right. uh, and it's a lot of fun. All right. Uh, well, you know, on that note, uh, Dean, um, you know, I, I'm going to echo that. Talking with you is a lot of fun. Um, Thank and, you, Kel. And it's uh, informative as well. And, you know, I mean, I, and I, I, what I'm hoping for this discussion does is give people – uh, really, a uh, look at how the working cartoonist, how the life uh, of a working cartoonist uh, has been transformed. When I was a kid, and I and, mm-hmm. and I'm a little older than you, but I don't think it was that different. Uh, you know, really, if you were a cartoonist, uh, and no knock on this, either you're gonna you were either gonna be a superhero cartoonist. You're lucky, maybe you could get a syndicated newspaper strip, and then, right. or maybe there were gag panels, you know, in magazines. Uh, right. But we we live in a different world now. Um, now, listen, we we live in a world where Anyone and their grandma can literally lift a pencil or hell, just draw on their phone, their screen of their laptop, yeah. whatever the hell. And we have these like social network platforms. I mean, yeah. people are doing Instagram comics. Now, Absolutely. You know? Yeah. I was and, reading and David Walker. that too. You David know? Walker's got that crazy comic now about his life that, that, that's, that's right. on Instagram all the time. That's, that's uh, David Walker, terrific comics writer, and he's got a – Comic on Instagram now, kind of about some personal troubles. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I mean, that's what I mean. That's yeah. what ultimately it's how we relate to each other. Listen, it's more, it's much more difficult to relate to a knight in shining armor than it is like the guy that's uh, mopping the floor of the castle. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like absolutely. I can relate to that person much easier, you yeah. know, than the one who's saving the day. It's a you world know, of, as much as I want to save the day, I'm probably mopping more floors. You know? <laughs> well, it's a world of, of more options for cartoonists. It's a world of way more options uh, uh, for more different kinds of comics for readers. Uh, and, you know, now the other side of it, of course, is there are challenges to, uh, to the artists, uh, finding a ways to, to, you know, to, to make a little, to make some money to support themselves. Um, right. but, you know, uh, I have to say, from certainly for myself, uh, this is a great time to, uh, to, to be reading comics, and I certainly hope it's a good time for the artists as well. Right. And my, my one advice to any new artist is despite everything, show up to your own party, meaning you got, you, you have no time to be shy or introvert as much as you might be. You got to show up to your own party and show up regularly. Like if you say you're going to do a weekly comic, 
every week it's got to show up because the reader is investing in you too. Don't mess with the reader in that way. The the reader these days are starting to feel a little more self-entitled about the stuff that they read. Don't worry about that. You know, be authentic, but show up to your own party on a regular basis. All right, people, take take notice. The Red Hook by Dean Haspel, available on Webtoon and uh, in print from Image Comics. Dino, thank you so much for being on More to Come. Thank you so much, Calvin. And welcome, uh, More to Come listeners, for uh, to another episode of Stargazing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and a co-host here at More to Come. And I'm talking with Meg Lemke, the PW Graphic Novels Review Editor. Hey, Meg, how you doing? Hey, Calvin. So we are going to talk about two books that received starred reviews in Publishers Weekly, which is an indication we give to a book of special interest and execution. So it's got to be both notable and quite well done. So the first book, they're both books that are out in February, so this should be playing in February. So advance notice, you should go get these now at your local bookshop. That's right is Big Black Stand at Attica by Frank Big Blacksmith, Jared Rydmuth, and Mazian. Yes. Uh, and it's out from Archaea. So this is uh, a really, tr- truly amazing work collaborating um, with Mr. Smith, Big Blacksmith, mm. who, and his widow, I understand. Yes. Uh, um, uh, Pearl Smith? Um, let me check on that. I, I apologize for... Uh, uh, I uh, should know that right off the bat. Uh, okay. Yes, um, Pearl Battlesmith, his widow. Yes, because he passed away. Um, but I was working on the book, um, or or writings for the book, mm. and because it's his memoir. It over, it's memoir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's his memoir, and he is a major figure um, who was a prisoner within the Attica prison uprising in 1971. He took a leadership role in the uprising as um, the the rioting prisoners created a form of self-government during the period of time that they had the prison locked down with hostages. And he took a role to try and help um, deal with the situation in a leadership way within the group. Uh, and then he was specifically targeted afterwards um, by guards and tortured by guards. And this led after his release to decades long, um, court cases against the prison for their treatment of prisoners who had been a part of the uprising and the abuse uh, thereafter. Yeah, this is this is a remarkable book, and it's really history of the uh, Attica prison revolt. Some people call it a prison riot um, uh, in uh, September of 1971. I mean, I remember it, um, the news accounts uh, from mm-hmm. those days. Um, uh, and, and for those who may not know, um, uh, Attica uh, was notorious uh, for the conditions under which these uh, prisoners lived. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the the uh, uprising, revolt, uh, riot. Um, I think it's it started on September ninth um, uh, uh, after a guard took issue with you know a, a, a prisoner event uh, a, uh, and. Uh, in the end, the twelve more than twelve hundred prisoners uh, um, basically took hostages, or around forty hostages. Uh, uh, Frank Smith was one of the prison negotiators. He was like the football mm-hmm. coach. He was an inmate and a football coach uh, at Attica. Uh, he was one of the negotiators. 
and um, uh, the book really is remarkable. Uh, it does not sugarcoat what happened Mm-mm. at all, and and it shows all of the prisoners in negotiation with uh, then Governor Nelson Rockefeller and the tragic results um, that followed. The the role that Smith plays is also really beautifully and deeply uh, contextualized by looking at his own history. His mother was a sharecropper and he talks about the plantation like environment of the prison um, and the ways that the prisoners were treated um, and how much it reflected the history of racism and oppression um, and within this, this terrible experience of the prison. And he does this really great, way in working on with the art and the um or the authors altogether but really yeah give it historical context on every page um and the art is really just like fantastic it's sort of bombastic it has um a lot of really cool period references they have these um it's like an expressive realism and muted colors um invoke mm-hmm. a nostalgic 1970s pulp effect reminiscent of pisker's work for example the recent work he's done mm-hmm. with hip-hop family tree that's from the review um the review says this penetrating portrait of a broken correctional system and a flawed man focuses on his legacy of courage, which towers over the forces stacked against him. Yeah, it's it's really remarkable. Um, he, he, the memoir was done in collaboration with Jared Rymouth, who who is the stepson mm-hmm. of Danny, uh, Danny Myers, who was one of uh, <clears throat> uh, one of the attorneys for the Attica prisoners, um, and um, uh, they ultimately there was a legal settlement. Um, uh, in the case, but, uh, this is really just an important work. Uh, this is an event that, ch- that certainly, uh, ch- transformed how prisoners were treated in New York State. We still have a ways to go on that yard, mm-hmm. but, uh, 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 Smith died in 2004, um, and, uh, uh, Reimuth worked on this with his widow to make sure and to, you know, to bring the book, uh, to print. So, uh, go out and see this. This is really a work, uh, a really important work of American history. Yeah, I'll just say it also pairs really well with Kent State um, yes, by Factor. Both of them are looking at Nixon's um, presidency in the 70s yeah. and police violence in response to uprising, one on a college campus and one here within a prison. And they really do read well back to back, which I have the opportunity to do here. Um, yeah. Completely changing tone, I want to talk about a book called Goblin Girl by Moa Romanova, translated from the Swedish by Melissa Bowers, which is from Fantagraphics. This was a discovery for me entirely. So, you know, we're coming in with a book with Big Black, um, just with a lot of history and a lot of legacy that it needs to represent. This is brand new Zenial. I don't know what Romanova is, but she's... She's a, a young person, and it's a generational reflection of a very tied in Tinder dating age. Yeah. Uh, and all of the anxieties around beauty, sexuality, um, love, friendship, yeah. place, how to be an artist in the world. Uh, her story is mm-hmm. about um, basically hooking up with a guy on Tinder who she only recalls a known TV guy, 53, who's an older man. Um, who's apparently a television celebrity. And then the uncomfortable, dysfunctional relationship that they develop as he says that he'd like to be her patron, like her emotional and yeah. financial patron as she's an artist. And the ways that, that agreeing to that arrangement, um, 
becomes a manipulative game. But then it's really about her milieu, about her friends, about her yeah. own experiences with mental health issues, with panic attacks. There's all of these jokes that I just loved, the visual gags. Like her mom comes in as a moomin in the background. Yes, yeah. <laughs> hilarious. There's this manga episode where she sort of imagines herself as a um Yes. <laughs> as a character. But the, but that those are both visual departures from the main art, which is this weird kind of monstrous figures. Like they're elongated, they look like 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 fashion dolls in this sort of um, you know distorted like Lisa Frank fashion dolls, but completely distorted through a funhouse mirror. Mm. So they really reflect to me that body dysmorphia that we that women experience in particular. Though I know men do as well in their um, in their twenties and their teens. And uh, around the idea of being constantly seen under a sexual male gaze. And there's just a lot of ways that the art and works and, and, and that's witty and really, um, I just love this book. And it came out of nowhere for me. So I really want to get more people to read it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, it really is an interesting kind of generational portrait of, it, of like anxiety and uh, you know, and uh, personal dysfunction, and also, I mean, the character su- uh, suffers uh, from panic attacks, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and it's kind of a record of her, you know, ambient behavior as she tries to get a grip. Uh, uh, I mean, it's also a look at her uh, sort of inability or her ability to idealize uh, her de- uh, her decisions and choices, mm-hmm. and how they seem to blow up in her face. But, right. um, it, you know, in, in its own odd and eccentric way, it is kind of the record of a young woman who, uh, who slowly does seem to get a grip on her life and, and kind of comes out on the other side of this. Yeah, there's a real, there's a real healing in the end, but it's complicated. Yes. It's not, it's not a pat ending by any stretch. Um, just a quote from the review, Romanova's semi-surreal cartooning, her protagonist wheel bizarre proportions like a cracked mirror fashion doll seeming both monstrous and familiar, lays bare the subtle commonplace ways that men abuse women's trust. Um, I love the book. We could also have talked longer about the big black art. I really want people to pick that up and see it. Mezienne is a French cartoonist on that title, so there was like an international collaboration to put that book together. Um, thanks, comics fans. Yeah, you know, in many ways, both of these books, they with their art and the writing, uh, they they they're kind of seamless. They the the art seems mm-hmm. to really perfectly reflect the narrative that we're, that we're being shown. Both uh, Amazians and Romanovas, which you know uh, has as a sort of eccentric uh, 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 depictions as um, her life seems to be in, in mm-hmm. many ways. So, so yes, go out and get both of these books. <laughs>